Today, we're tackling one of the most ambiguous and subjective roles in the software engineering career path, the staff engineer. Many companies don't even have this role, and the ones that do have a hard time defining exactly what it means. What we do know is that it's a leadership role that takes a different path. Will Larson, the CTO of Calm, and author of the new book, Staff Engineer, Leadership Beyond the Management Track, joins us to share his research on what a staff engineer actually is, how to hire one, and the differences between leadership and management. This episode is sponsored by Linear B. Give your dev team the power to improve with team-based metrics, high-risk code alerts, and the world's first project board based on real-time Git activity. Sign up free at LinearB.io. Will, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dan, for having me. I'm super excited to get talk a little bit about the book. Yeah, awesome, awesome to have you here. And if we're just going to jump uh, right into it, you know, the staff engineer role that, you know, from my experience might be one of the more kind of subjective roles. Actually, many of the companies that I work with or have been introduced to don't even have that type of role. So for our audience, could you define what a staff engineering role means? And this is really why I started thinking about this problem at my last job. Um, in particular, I started being responsible for coaching all these different staff engineers. And a lot of them were having these kind of existential like angst, just like, what is my job? And like, how am I being evaluated? And then, you know, as a manager, like, well, of course I have the answers for you, but you're like, I actually like really didn't have the answers for them. So it's like, ah, like, what do I tell them? And so I just wanted to understand the problem space better in terms of like, how do I actually give like honest, like useful advice to folks? And I just wasn't really sure what, what to say at that point. And that's where I started kind of by just talking to a bunch of different folks in different companies and trying to understand the space. And so from that, I think the first answer is like, you know, every staff role is a little bit different. There's no such thing as this um, one standard across different companies. But there are there are some standards that you can kind of see in the or in the in the industry. So first, like the, the most common progression is kind of a mid-level engineer, a senior engineer, a staff engineer, a principal engineer, then you know, a distinguished engineer would be kind of on, on the top of that. A lot of companies don't have all of those. And I would even say most small companies with less than like 50 engineers probably shouldn't have any of the kind of senior senior plus ones. Um, but 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 some do. And so then within them, it's like, OK, so you have like a, a hierarchy. But is this just like a, a senior, like seven years of experience, is staff like 12 years of experience, is principal like 16? Is it is it just something like that literal? And, and it's like a little bit different. Um, it, it's really as I've talked to more folks, this idea of like archetypes is how I've started to explain it, where there is kind of a, a team lead who's someone who's like really giving a lot of direction and support. An enablement, um, partnering really closely with usually a product manager and, and usually uh, an engineering manager about how the team's technology roadmap and execution works. Um, I, I found this idea of the solver, where most companies are now very team oriented, but often you'll find people just like floating around in organizations, kind of bouncing from problem to problem. Particularly like the biggest problems that the company leadership sees. 
So for example, a couple of years ago, like GDPR is a great example of a problem that a lot of companies like decided to put off as long as humanly possible. And all of a sudden there's this like actual like mile like deadline looming. And then they kind of like brought in like their, their solvers to figure out how to actually get on the, the right side of it. Um, the other two that I found is this idea of this architect. So it's funny, like in the, the period of time that I came up in the industry, there's no title like more hated than the architect, right? Where it's like no architects is like the number one goal for like most teams where you're like, you're interviewing a company and they're like, oh, we have architects here. And you're like, ah, I just don't think I can come work here after all. Like really, really red flag, yeah, just huge red flag, right? Um, but it's funny because it's actually really valuable work. It's just the old style of what an architect is, was like top down, ignored the, the teams, like the impact on the teams of their behaviors. Um, and this was just the old style of management in a lot of ways, right? Where like leadership thought they gave direction and, and didn't have to think much about the team. So there's a new age of kind of architects who are collaborative, understanding the user's needs, um, empowering the, the teams they're working with. And I see this role at a lot of different companies now where it's usually not called an architect. What they're doing is like actually architecture. And have you seen that, you know, companies now kind of explicitly define these roles? Like you have a title of a solver or is it just a staff engineer and kind of like, okay, everyone knows you're a solver. I think most companies don't think about this at all. And that's one of the things that I hope is with this vocabulary and staff engineer, we can start to just have like clear conversations about it. And actually, uh, one of the coolest things since the book came out is I saw a job posting from Cruise and they were like, you should be a solver or a architect. And it like linked to the, the, to the book. Um, and I was like, ah, great. Like we, we could have a, a shared vocabulary. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And, you know, I, I can definitely appreciate this because, you know, I've been an engineering leader in a scale up, a scaling startup, and we didn't have these types of roles. And for example, you know, now that you describe, for example, like the solver, um, I can remember people that fit those that characteristics or kind of had those traits, except we didn't have an official role for it or we didn't call it by that, that name or we didn't have a performance uh, program where you could upgrade to be a, a, a solver. And that actually uh, kind of created um, kind of for those people like, I don't know what my career path is. First, just like to, to your last point, I think one of the biggest sources of friction is that most companies have like one or two of these archetypes. The most engineers have a really clear sense of what archetype they want to be, but we don't have the vocabulary to actually like acknowledge these like mismatches where there'll be someone who like, Hey, I really just want to be an architect. And they join as a, a staff engineer at some company and the company is like, Whoa, whoa what do you think you're doing? Like, we don't do that here. Like we want you to be a, a tech lead uh, or we want you to be a solver. Like this architecture stuff's like terrible leadership. And someone's like, what do you mean? You hired me as a staff engineer to be an architect. And so to me, like, I just hope we can also like disambiguate some of these fit problems earlier where just like what people want from each other is, is just incompatible. And so like that, that is like one of the things I really hope can help just reduce like the, the miss rate on some of these. Yeah. And so if you had to kind of say the difference between kind of that uh, management role, it sounds like some of these uh, archetypes that you're describing is 
more of a, a leadership role. Could you describe like what is the difference maybe between management and leadership or how does that fit in? So the core of management is like really a profession and it is like the core of management is all these different things that you have to do. It's like running the one-on-ones, it's performance management, it's like engaging the team, it's planning, it's like cross-functional planning. Um, it's, it's you know, figuring out your like diversity, equity and inclusion strategy and, and how to actually like live and implement that. It's it's a ton of hiring. It, it, there's like these like core skills that are, you know, everyone does a little bit in any role. But like managers, I think, really specialize on going deep on these sets of skills. And so it's just like engineering is, you know, like writing software. It's giving code reviews. It's doing architecture. It's providing like feedback on other people's architecture understanding user requirements there's like all these like core skills to it management is um these set of core skills around these kind of like people process organizational growth um skills so it's just like a totally different set of skills and and kind of role and it's a different focus um leaderships i think a little bit more of like an approach and it's company specific where i think you know what you do in terms of some companies as leadership is you have to have like a lot of like bold kind of like big ideas. You like push the boundaries and like what they really want from leaders is people who push um, and kind of set a, a fast tempo and maybe like don't worry so much about kind of the the wake they leave behind them as they set that tempo. Um, some other companies really want like collaborative um, cohesion, like alignment driving leaders, right? So I think it's really understanding how the company wants people to push forward and make progress and aligning to that set of values for your specific company is what I see as like the core of leadership. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So it sounds like uh, within the archetypes, and there's four archetypes, correct? Let, let's see if we can just repeat those again. What are the, the main four? Yeah, so it's the team lead, solver, architect and then the one I didn't mention before is the right hand which tends to only show up in companies with maybe you know two 500 engineers and it's really kind of like a, a direct partner to a senior leader maybe a direct partner to a director who's kind of seeing the same scope as that director but really focusing on it from like a technical perspective rather than like a people um, and organizational perspective gotcha and is there a version of the staff engineer like one of those uh, uh, archetypes that you can be purely technical if there's someone that's just like, I, I don't have that people skills and I'm, I'm not really even great at people leadership. Is there one that's just like completely technical? This is actually a question I get uh, a decent amount. Uh, and I think there's a strong desire from people asking the question, that there should be kind of unlimited path as a technical contributor without moving into kind of influence, without moving into kind of cross-organizational work. And the, the reality is like most companies don't need that. And so I think you can't just want it. The company actually has to need this like purely technical role. There, there are companies where there are kind of deep experts who are doing, uh, for example, you know, some companies are going to be doing like kernel level optimization. Some companies are building out their own data centers because they're just at that size and they actually want to like manage like the, the heat um, capacity um, creation or something. They, some companies are doing like, you know, WebAssembly and they're actually like pushing the WebAssembly standard forward. Like there, there are companies that are doing 
um, genuinely innovative kind of boundary pushing work. Um, I, I really think this is kind of a third career path that we just like don't really have the language for because it's so infrequent. Um, so I don't think it's really a staff role in, in my mind. I don't think it's even a leadership role. It's just a genuine expert who is like a world class in some sort of like technical component of the software engineering. And I think we just need another path to represent the relatively small number of folks doing that. That totally makes sense. And, you know, in the engineering community, the more paths that we open up, because there's brilliant people there, but there's also a lot of different types of people. You do have those, you know, manager styles and those influencers, but you also have a lot of those more quiet people that really just want to work on that uh, technical track. So it seems like we may need to invent a third category uh, there. Um, kind of switching topics a, a little bit, um, if a company is going to hire someone into the role of staff engineer, again, I think it's usually you know some of the most brilliant people in the world would do really well in this role. It's a really big deal for that company and probably the compensation goes along with that. How can we measure the impact of that person? It's funny. Um, a couple of different thoughts. First, you know, obviously organizations don't know how to measure their own impact for the most part. So it's actually <laughs> measuring impacts kind of like a, a dark art, if you will. Um, I think in the last like decade, we've learned how to measure engineering velocity in like more constructive ways. And so I think the accelerate metrics from, you know, Forrest Grin, um, Kim and, and Humble are, are great, like lead time, batch size, um, time to recover failure rate. Those are a great way to kind of understand like your, your velocity or your systems that create velocity. But, but you don't really know your impact from that. And if you only try to optimize those, you, you miss out on like in a, one of the most important like levers of success or impact, which is like just picking better projects and problems to work on. So companies then kind of often like step back to just like the, the core business metrics in terms of kind of like, you know, revenue growth or engagement or, or, or whatever kind of whatever their core business metrics are. And ultimately, I think the right way to measure staff engineers is that they are leaders they are connected with an area of the business, um, either a team in the case of a team lead, or it could be like the entire engineering org for the right hand. And you should measure them to the same um, metrics and outcomes as you would the manager they're, they're kind of connected to. So if it's a team lead, I think you should manage, hold them accountable to the same exact metrics of the team that the product manager, the eng manager are being held accountable to. It's the entire eng org, then you'd hold them accountable to like the whatever engineering level metrics that you're holding, say, the, the VP of Eng or something like that accountable to. Yeah, of course, a lot of those DORA metrics, you know, cycle time, deployment frequency, you know, our listeners are really familiar with that is those are actually all the metrics that we provide automatically through the Linear B platform. But those are team based metrics. That's how the team is, is operating. And I think something that's a little could be a little challenging with the staff engineer is, you know, that that's an individual that may be uh, impacting a team. So kind of one point blank question for you, if I took the solver role, I really like the solver role because I, I think that's a, a role that a lot of engineering organizations out of all of them should have in need. But if I'm a solver, um, how could I even ask myself if I'm doing a good job? 
Yeah, I think the solver is the hardest one. The architect is usually going to, you know, directly partner with like a director of like storage or something. The the, the team lead is going to partner with a manager on like some some area. The the right hand is going to partner with like the VP or a director or something. The the solver is like a little bit abstract. Uh, so uh, honestly, I think the solver has to just kind of look project by project and kind of like understand like whether they've done something high impact. And I think just could someone else have done it? Um, like, is your contribution like a little bit unique? And then it's actually a little bit like double edged in the sense that if only you could do it, then you're probably not spending enough time like growing the organization. So like maybe a good way for a solver to think about their impact is like, hey, is this something only I could have done? Did I do a good job fixing it? Did I leave it in a place where someone else could fix it next time? And, and I think that's what I might give people. I, I really, I really love that because when I was a VP of engineering at my last company, again, I kind of had these people on my team and I knew who they were, but I couldn't put a name to them. I didn't call it solver and we didn't have a title called that. But the way that I usually thought about it was like, okay, we have a problem that has been at the company for two years or one year or six months. These are really long time frames, especially if you're in a, a startup company. And when I would see a person like this come in and solve that long lasting problem, I would be like, okay, that's amazing. So it's almost like the impact to me was like, how long did we have this problem? And then, oh, we either got this new person onto to the team or someone finally stepped up and said, I could solve that that thing. So it's almost like an equation of how long the problem's been around and then how fast they were able to resolve it. That's the way that I kind of think yeah, about it. I love it. It's like problems we don't talk about anymore, right? There's like all sorts of ways to think about this. But yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. Okay, so kind of moving us along here, we've established that, you know, the staff engineer is actually really important and it's uh, also super important to actually define those different architects. We're trying to give engineers another avenue for them to excel and acknowledge and do career growth. Um, now, if I wanted to actually become a staff engineer, which sounds amazing, how would I actually go about that if I'm just, you know, I'm a software engineer today? Like, what's the path for me? So the, the first thing I would do is one of the folks I talked with is Michelle Boo at Stripe. And she makes this really important point, which is that, a you know, a staff engineer is not just doing, it's not just a senior engineer plus. It's like a different set of responsibilities and it's different work. And that a lot of folks aspire to this because they, they see the status component. But then they get the job and they're like, this job sucks. It's like I'm, I'm in like a lot of planning meetings. Like I'm getting pulled into like priorities. Like again, like I can't focus like I used to. It's like, man, I, I really just like want to write code. Like where's the high status job where I get paid more, but don't have to deal with like these leadership problems. And that, that job like sort of doesn't exist. So first thing is like, make sure you actually want the job. Have you seen that? engineers usually need to switch companies to find that more staff engineering role? Or have you seen them be able, I don't know, you just go to your manager and say, hey, you should read this new book about staff engineering. Let's create this role. Like, which one should they do? I, I really think it's always best to try to make it work at the company you're at. You know, it, 
you have like a ton of credibility. And I think for folks who only work for like one to two years at companies, you might not realize how different it is working at a company for like four years versus for like two years. Cause just the volume of relationships, like the, the depth you have and like the business and the, and the code base and the context, it, it really is just a very different feel. You also learn like the, the downsides of all the decisions you made two years ago. You're like, well, actually in retrospect, this architecture decision I made isn't that good. And you're like, maybe we shouldn't have adopted Kubernetes after all. So I, I do think, um, you really should try at the company you're at. And the number one technique that I would recommend to folks is just putting together, like trying to write your own promotion packet of like, what would you want your manager to submit on your behalf? And then review it with your manager like, hey, I think I should be a staff engineer. I should be promoted. Here's this packet I wrote. And it's like, what's bad about it or what's missing from it? And then like getting that feedback. I think sometimes when you ask people abstractly like, hey, like what could I be doing better to be a staff engineer? They're going to give you like abstract questions, get abstract answers. Like you could be showing more leadership. Uh, you're like, well, I don't I don't know what that means. Like that's useless. But if you write your packet for them and you're like, here's all the important work I did and here's why it's important. And they'll be like, you know what, like compared to the other staff packets I'm seeing, this is just missing a lot of impact or compared to the other ones, actually, it's like kind of equivalent. Like, why haven't we been having this conversation? And so that's the number one tool I would use. And it's not just with your manager. I think this is something you'd be like, hey, talk to your skip level. It's like, hey, something I want to do over time is get to that staff level here's like the packet I wrote for myself thinking about what would happen if I did apply, like what's missing, talk to your people who already are staff engineers. And so I, I think that's a great tool to understand the real gap because most people don't get real feedback about their gaps, right? Um, because like managers like just don't give it or they're a little bit like conflict diverse or the managers just aren't sure. So I think that the first thing is just like actually extracting the real feedback about the gap. That, that's really good advice. And, you know, I, I checked out your, your staff engineering website and it kind of laid out the four different uh, archetypes there and kind of gave a description um, as well. I would think, you know, that could also either checking out your book or going to the website. If you're a developer listening to this call, you might not know how to write that job description for yourself. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of great information in, in your book on that. Now, switching the roles or switching the perspective a little bit, we also have a lot of VPs of engineering and CTOs that like listening to the pod. And if they're listening and kind of asking themselves, okay, I don't have this staff engineering role, but I think that I should, um, what's a good first step for them to get started uh, constructing that? I would start by thinking about what you actually need. I think there's, if you try to solve the problem from like a overly abstract perspective, you, you'll do the kind of, you'll do the wrong thing. Um, for example, there's definitely companies out there who kind of roll out a staff role, but they do it in a way where people think it's trying to encourage them to do really big, innovative technical work, which doesn't move the business forward. And so you have all these people trying to get promoted and they do it in this way where the business is actually worse off for it. So first thing is like, how do you align like the, the role you're describing with what you actually need? If what you actually need is solvers, then I think write the, the job description or the, the ladder like, to be like, hey, what we want for staff engineers at our company right now is we want solvers. Um, here's the actual work that we need from them. Um, 
there's all this other technical work that's valuable, but that's not what we need from a staff engineer. And people will be uncomfortable with that. They're like, well, but shouldn't an architect be a staff engineer? It's like, well, like conceptually, yes, but it's just not what we need. And so just being really clear about what the gap is you as a leadership team or a leader need um, versus what people want from the role. Because I, I think if you give them what they want, you know, you, you'll often like actually harm the, the business and anything you do that harms the business isn't sustainable long term because you'll like end up like having they, they won't perform well because you actually grade them against what you need as opposed to what you've told them you want. And like none of them will perform well. So just being like really clear about what you actually need as a leader from them, I think is the very first step. That, that's great advice. And Will, I know in creating and preparation uh, for you, your book, you did a lot of research and interviews. Are there any lessons you learned that we didn't touch on today? Is there anything that we missed that you want to talk about? We did touch on this in a little bit, but I think the number one thing is seeing what's actually there instead of what you want to be there. And that's like the number one way that I see um, companies mess up their role is they kind of describe what people want versus what they need. So the number one way that I see people like fail to get to the role is they like want the role to represent something the company doesn't value. Um, and you just have to like under be honest with yourself um, and listen to what the company is telling you. And sometimes what the company tells you in like the, the latter and what the company tells you and who it promotes, who it retains, who it recognizes are going to be different. And I think listening to the latter is important. You can't, well, listen, listening to the second, I guess, ladder and ladder, very similar. Um, you, you can't just like hope is not a strategy is I guess like what I'd say in terms of folks pursuing this role or trying to use this role. Um, another one is there, there's this amazing talk from Dan uh, a couple of years ago, but like pushing through friction. And I think part of like a core of leadership is that um, finding the ways to solve problems and keeping like multiple ideas in your head where it's like one, like, yes, the org probably is messed up Two, like, how can I personally change to make this work? I think a lot of folks who struggle in these leadership roles or struggle to get there um, focus on external sort of explanations for why things aren't working. And as a leader, like you only deal in like messy problems. Like there are no clean, unambiguous, well-structured problems that leaders get to work on. Other people get to work on those for the most part, or they're already solved. So I think don't go into leadership and then get upset that the problems given to you are poorly framed. They're slightly the wrong problem. The schedules are messed up. Some of the stakeholders are hard. Like that, that's the reason these jobs exist is, and that's like why um, you, you get like compensated more for them is like the problems um, that, that come with them. Awesome. That, that's great advice. This has been an amazing conversation. I think a really important conversation for a lot of developers out there uh, in the engineering community. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Um, if listeners wanted to purchase and read your new book, Staff Engineer, Leadership Beyond the Management Track, where could they go and get it? So if you want the paperback, it's on Amazon. Um, if you want a digital copy, you can either get it on Amazon or you can get it on Gumroad. But the easiest way to find um, all of those is just go to staffeng.com and you'll get a link to the book. You can see some of the resources online and learn a little bit more about the content there. Okay, great. And also, I know you, since you're the CTO at Calm, are you doing any hiring there? Any any opportunities for our listeners? 
yeah, the, the hiring the hiring never stops. Uh, although we're not growing too quickly, at kind of a sustained, reasonable pace. Um, so ton of hiring right now, a lot of mobile development. But just generally, if you care about mental wellness, we're, we're doing some hiring and come hit us up. Okay, great. So everyone listening, uh, definitely check out Will's new book. And if you're looking for a new gig, it seems like there's some nice openings uh, on Will's team at Calm. Also be sure to join our Dev Interrupted Discord community. That's where we keep this type of conversation going all week long. You can find all of this information in the uh, description below. Thank you everyone and have a great weekend.